Welcome into Around the Bases, your weekly dose of baseball with a little extra. Now, to take you around the bases, here are your hosts, J.T. Crabtree, Colin Lacey, and Joe McNulty. Welcome into another edition of Around the Bases. J.T. Crabtree, Llama Joe is still here. It's still Llama, not changed from last week. And now we've got Papa Colin. We've got, we've got all the nicknames <laughs> on the show now. Lama yeah, we've got to come up with a good nickname for you now. It'll happen. It'll organically happen, right? That's a uh, that's the best way it works. Um, True. All right, boys. Uh, we've been on a little hiatus there because I kind of um, not hiatus, I guess. Um, Colin, you've been on the paternity list for the last couple of weeks because you are now a father. Congratulations, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, a little over. Uh... Man, is it knocking on two weeks now? Yeah. Yeah, two weeks ago, two Tuesdays ago, brought uh, Nathan into the world, and so now just uh, trying to figure out when to sleep and <laughs> how to uh, how to keep a child alive, which is kind of frightening if you've never tried to do that before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you can't keep your own life together. Now you're responsible for someone else. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, we've uh, we've had a lot go on since we last talked. Uh, actually, the the All Star Game happened, which seems like a, a distant memory right now. Uh, most recently, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so yesterday for us, this past Tuesday, was the MLB trade deadline, which being on August second confuses the mess out of me. You know, oh, July, yeah. July thirty first, like seems pretty cut and dry, but whatever. Uh, we've had the MLB trade deadline, so we'll we'll talk about that. Um, tons, tons of moves, big moves. Uh, the the deadline outside of opening day is my favorite day of the year, where rosters just completely get totally flipped over in a matter of hours. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be diving into all the different moves uh, from the the buyers and the sellers and whatnot of the MLB trade deadline. Uh, but to start it off here, unfortunately, some uh, somber notes, uh, especially for the three of us as broadcasters. Legendary voice of the Dodgers and really the, the voice of baseball, Vin Scully passed away at the age of 94 er- earlier this week. Um, I-, I know personally for me, uh, I try to incorporate a lot of what Vin Scully does in his broadcast because why the heck wouldn't I? He's the best to ever do it. So I try to incorporate stuff that he does. But man, I mean, this this was a gut punch when when I when I heard it the other night, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different stories, and everybody has been posting on social media the last couple of days of some of the greatest calls, the greatest moments, whatever. And you can have like the Sandy Koufax moment. You can have Bill Buckner. You can have Kirk Gibson. But the thing that I love is, and this was the best part about Vince Scully of being able to tell a story and somehow magically it fit perfectly into the inning. I saw one yesterday whenever the announcement came that he had passed of he was talking about Madison Bumgarner when he was with the Giants and was talking about how one time he was on his farm, he saw a large snake and it scared him. And so he ended up grabbing like a shovel and chopped the snake up. Well, he found two rabbits inside the snake that the snake had eaten. 
and found one that was still alive and nursed the rabbit back to health and then released it. And then right as he finished the story, there's the third out. So you can't tell me that there were not times where the baseball gods said, hey, I want to hear the end of this story. Let's have somebody foul off a couple of pitches just to get that story in. Because JT and Joe, you know, having called baseball games, you'll start a story with one out, and you're like, okay, i got time for this story. And then somebody lines into a double play. You're like, well, okay, we'll finish this when we get back. Yep. And so that never happened to Scully. Never happened. And seeing everybody talk about it on social media the last couple days, you get to see what kind of person he was. Wes Durham, who everybody in the Southeast know, longtime voice for the Atlanta Falcons with ACC Network and whatnot. But when his dad, Woody Durham, who is the longtime legendary voice of North Carolina, retired, Wes put up a picture today of Vince Scully sent his dad, Woody, a handwritten note congratulating on his retirement. He had never met Vince Scully, but Vince Scully took the time to write him a handwritten note. You're talking about somebody from Carolina to L.A. There's not there's a lot of space in between there. And so to be able to have that kind of person, because there will never be another broadcaster like Vince Scully. It just won't happen. I mean, and we can get into how broadcasting has changed and whatnot, but there will never be a Vince Scully again. Just won't happen. And that's, it's definitely a uh, hard day for folks in the business like the three of us, but also for the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, that story, I think you nailed it on the head, Colin. That story, when I saw it on Twitter the other day, it was amazing. I think, actually, the umpire missed a strike three call right down the middle. He ended up calling ball three anyway. And, you know, the next pitch, Bumgarner ends up following it away or whatever. But it was just unbelievable what he meant to the game. And, uh, you know, he even had the the historic call when Hank Aaron uh, broke Babe Ruth's record. So, um, he, he's just always around, you know, big historic mar- marks of this game and, uh, deservedly. So, I mean, he's just the best to ever do it. There was, a an interview. I mean, he's, he's told the story a ton of times, but most recently I saw it online. He was a guest on the Dan Patrick show and talked about how he util- utilizes the crowd so much in his broadcasts and how, Joe, you engineering our broadcasts on the football side too. You know how much we try to incorporate it. Like if there's a the think back to the the coastal game this year, where Tolbert scored like a seventy yard touchdown with a minute left to take the lead. How long of silence was there in that in that moment? Like or from us at least, not the crowd, but just right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I remember pumping up the this the crowd sound and basically just telling you guys to hold off and yeah. don't say anything and just let the crowd tell the story because i mean it, it's just it's so powerful when you have uh, a moment like that and you can let the atmosphere play the play off the emotions of it yeah I and mean, like the the auburn basketball game where again same, similar thing 26 seconds left we hit a three take the lead mitchell center's going bananas and you and I didn't talk. I timed it out. It was 39 seconds. We didn't say anything. We didn't have to. <laughs> we didn't have to. And we learned that from Vin Scully. He does that so eloquently that the crowd can say way better anything that the three of us or anybody can put into words. Just the, the roar of the crowd says so much, man. And that's the thing you talk about. And 
you mentioned 39 seconds in a basketball game and basketball obviously different from baseball but that 39 seconds for us seems like an eternity yep <laughs> Vince Scully on Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run he doesn't speak for like two or three minutes and it's one of the best calls and you always hear Milo Hamilton because Braves announcer and sure whatever we can get into that later <laughs> but Vince Scully's call he calls the play and then lets the crowd tell the story because from the crowd you can tell the magnitude you can tell what's happening and, and as an and he's an away announcer you know it, yeah. it, he's a Dodger announcer and he's you know letting the crowd tell the story of what's happening for a Braves player which is something that most announcers can't really get behind exactly and like I said there will never be another one like him there hasn't ever been one since him and that's not saying there's not great people in different respects but there will never be somebody that controls the English language as well as Vince Scully does for baseball and that is the best storyteller for baseball it it just doesn't happen and to think he was a one-man booth his entire career (laughs) yeah yeah that's unheard of now yeah and I mean the guys that took over for him, Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser, do a great job now. But you don't see a one-man booth anymore. It just doesn't happen. Not at that level. Especially with baseball. I think you need two people. But a one-man booth, and you didn't need anybody else. Yeah. It's, it's so impressive on so many different levels how well he did it, how long he did it, yeah, and the, the longevity of the fact that I, I can't – I don't have it off the top of my head, but how many years – I mean, shoot, he moved with the team from Brooklyn. <laughs> like 67 years with the Dodgers organization. I mean, nobody – until he retired in 2016, no one else had called a Los Angeles Dodgers baseball game. No. That's, it, that's incredible. And to think he only really came off the road the last – two maybe three years he was with the Dodgers yeah I mean 162 games the three of us have done a 56 game college schedule and that's a brutal schedule and it's not and I know Major League Baseball travels a little bit better than <laughs> some of our <laughs> travel arrangements have been <laughs> but it's still 162 games from March until hopefully October you're traveling all across the country and you've got maybe a day off a week maybe yeah and you're doing that at 85 86 that's unreal in the entirety of major league baseball vin scully has called over four percent of all games that sounds like a small number but you think of how many major league baseball games there have been played since going back to what like 1887 Something like that. Jeez. He's called 4% of all games ever played. <laughs> it's nuts, man. It's nuts. Uh, so, yeah, Vince Scully, um, 94 years old, passed away earlier this week. So um, we'll take a break here. We'll come back. We'll talk Major League Baseball trade deadline when we come back on Around the Bases. Crooked teeth may embarrass kids whose families can't afford braces. 
and trying to fix their teeth themselves can make things worse. Luckily, there's Donated Orthodontic Services, a program from the American Association of Orthodontists. For children and teens who qualify and are matched with a volunteer orthodontist, treatment can be life-changing and help them smile with confidence. Learn more at aaoinfo.org. Welcome back to Around the Bases with JT, Colin, and Joe. Hey, there's the right rejoin. <laughs> Not the button I hit that you guys will never hear. <laughs> Welcome back to ATB, JT, Colin, and Joe. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Major League Trade Deadline and. Good grief. I mean, we have to start in San Diego because it's a... Comp- it's not. No, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is going to get me fired up. <sighs> Dude, okay, so we'll, we got, we'll lead with it. Juan Soto and Josh Bell are headed to San Diego from Washington. Brandon Drury goes from Cincinnati to San Diego as well. And then Josh Hader is traded from the, the NL Central leading Brewers to the Padres, and then Eric Hosmer shipped out because he didn't want to go to Washington, so they said, fine, give us the teams that aren't on your no-trade list. We'll dump you off on one of those. He goes to the Red Sox, and the Red Sox are buying but selling at the same time. We'll talk about that later. It doesn't make sense. But Juan Soto and Josh Bell is the, the big splash, particularly Juan Soto, goes from Washington to San Diego for a plethora of high-level prospects from the Padres to the Nationals. Some people are calling this the biggest trade in baseball history. I mean, that's high praise. I, I don't buy that. But it's pretty impressive the haul that the, the Nationals got for some pretty big-name guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to think about San Diego because what was it two three years ago whenever they made the big moves in the offseason that it was oh watch out for San Diego uh-huh. uh, it hadn't really fizzled out to a whole lot but I mean they've gotten better and I think for San Diego you're hoping this becomes what the big moves at the trade deadline last year for like Los Angeles did when you bring in Trey Turner and folks like that they're hoping that's what this turns into for them i don't know if it does um the josh Hader kind of confuses me like you talked about um and then if you're eric hosmer doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because i've been a hosmer fan for a lot of his career but you get all of these guys the juan soto josh bell brandon drury Hader, and then you're dumping Eric Hosmer. I, I don't quite understand how that all fits together, and I'm sure it's something on the financial side. You've got to get salary dump and all of that. Well, I think they. Ha- I think what is it? They have like almost a billion dollars wrapped up in three players. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know that I'm necessarily buying San Diego. I mean. They're 11 and a half games back in the West. Granted, they're behind the Dodgers, who a lot of people will be 11 and a half games back. But I don't know that I'm buying that this is going to take them to the next level. I mean, they're still only playing for a wild card spot. It, the thing that 
upsets me the most about that trade was just that the Cardinals weren't able to get Soto. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> reports that uh, the reason they didn't uh, accept or you know have a trade accepted for Juan Soto was only because of one name, and that was Dylan Carlson. The Cardinals did not want to trade up Dylan Carlson for Juan Soto. And I think that's a big mistake because I don't think Juan's, I don't think Dylan Carlson is going to live up to Juan Soto standards of baseball. And you'd basically just be replacing them in the outfield in their respective positions. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals instead make a trade Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery to get them a little bit more pitching. But I, I just think Juan Soto is probably one of the best outfielders in baseball in today's game. And it, it's, it's tough to say that Dylan Carlson was it's going to be tough for Cardinals fans to swallow knowing that Carlson's what, what held that back. So I need to ask you here real quick about the Cardinals, Joe, because I'm looking at their roster. They called Paul DeYoung back up? Yes, and he's been dominating. He's had like two or three home runs in the last three games. Wow, okay. Because I saw Brendan Donovan was not playing as regularly, and I was thinking, why? Makes sense now. Okay, Yep. Um. so back to the trades. You've got... Going to Washington from San Diego, C.J. Abrams, who's been there. I mean, he's a shortstop, but he's playing behind a guy named Fernando Tatis Jr. So he was not long to stay there anyway. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, who's been okay. He started off really well. He's kind of fizzled off lately, but pretty good pitching young pitcher. Robert Hazel, the third, who's a good prospect. James Wood is a really good outfield prospect. Uh, Jarlin... Susana is pretty strong, and because Hosmer said no to going to Washington, they needed a new first baseman, so they got Luke Voigt now. So Voigt will be with the Nationals. That's everyone they got for giving up Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Josh Bell, okay, he's good, probably should have been all-star this year, whatever, but I mean, Juan Soto, I think the big part of this too is that he's under control for the rest of this year, obviously, next year, and the year after that. That's a lot of team control for one of the better guys at his position. And the Padres, yeah, they gave up a lot of young guys, but how many of those dudes are going to pan out? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, like I, not giving up Dylan Carlson for Juan Soto, that doesn't make – Carlson's older than Soto. Yeah. And not nearly as proven. I think the only one of the the prospects in that San Diego trade that may actually come out and, and potentially be an, a really good all-star is C.J. Abrams. And obviously he can't get playing time in San Diego playing behind Tati. So I think that was actually a, a really good move for San Diego to, to flop that. Um, but yeah, I, I just – it's insane to think that Dylan Carlson has held back Juan Soto from being a St. Louis Cardinal. <laughs> I also think James Wood's going to pan out pretty good because he's six foot seven, two forty. I mean, the dude is a monster, um, but we'll see. Um, all right, so that's that's the Padres and Josh Hader. What are the Brewers doing? They're leading. I mean, I I get the money thing. You have the best closer in baseball right now, and you ship him out while you're still in the lead of the division. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into the biggest surprises and winners and losers in the next segment. But Josh Hader, when that came across the timeline, I'm like, wait a minute. Is I had to double check to make sure it wasn't like a fake Jeff Passan account and <laughs> making sure it was not messing with people. But that was the one that I don't get. I mean, 
we've talked about the Soto and Bell to San Diego and all that was a little bit one-sided, but to me, the Josh Hader trade, and I know this is going to rip off a Band-Aid for a lot of people listening, this reminds me of a, I want to say like a Mark Teixeira trade for the Braves, but not the same sense because it makes a lot of sense for San Diego. I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense for Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, they, they've they already DFA'd one of the main guys they got in the deal. And really, so they're getting another prospect and Taylor Rogers, who was the Padres' closer. They ship him over to Milwaukee, so they've got another guy at the back end. But if you're asking me, do I want Taylor Rogers or Josh Hader closing out a game, it's not a discussion. Yeah, I mean, you DFA the one guy, and so you're essentially just swapping closers yeah. for one of the best in Major League Baseball, if not the best in Major League Baseball, for an average, at best, closer. Yeah. I don't get it. Uh, we'll talk some more, like you said, Colin. We'll talk more about the biggest surprises of the deadline. Luis Castillo is one of the bigger names uh, available before the deadline from the Reds. He now goes to the Mariners. The Mariners got a couple of other guys in there as well. Uh, Jake Lamb, I think, was one of them from the Dodgers. And they got some kind of little pieces here and there to kind of supplement their lineup. Frankie Montas was one of the other big names. He goes to the Yankees. And also, Andrew Benintendi from the Royals is also going to the Yankees. That created a little bit of a log jam in their outfield, which wasn't great outside of Judge to begin with. So you had Benintendi. You got to get rid of Joey Gallo because he's been just a black hole in the lineup for the Yankees. So he goes to the Dodgers, which that that doesn't make sense to begin with. And people have said, oh, the, the big market really intimidated Gallo. He's going to L.A. That's not better. No. So... <laughs> But then if you look at his numbers and you look at Cody Bellinger, they're both hitting 186. How is this like Joey Gallo is Cody Bellinger but just strikes out more? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. They've both won a gold glove. They both have pretty good power. Bellinger's probably a little quicker on the base paths. But average is about the same. Just Gallo just doesn't put the ball in play nearly as much. I, I, I don't get the move at all. Like, just hoping a change of scenery will, will fix the problem? I don't get it. And this is one. We'll get to kind of the Braves trades a little bit later on, but it's something similar than you saw with Will Smith. I mean, it seems crazy to say that Joey Gallo may have been on his way to get DFA'd, but he might have been getting DFA'd, especially with as much outfield as you see in New York. I mean – I don't know that it was going to be panning out. I mean, at best, he's probably your fourth outfielder, maybe your DH at times. But Shoot, the way Matt Carpenter's been swinging, you don't take him out of the DH spot. I don't – yeah, that one I don't quite get. All right. uh, The Orioles, who are still in contention, they're, they're not that fluky this year. They're still in contention. They still sold. They got rid of Trey Mancini, who's been a fan favorite, you know, and his big story with his cancer recovery. He's now off to Houston as part of a three-team deal. I think Houston, he's already hit a home run with Houston as well. Hey, all right, already paying off. 
And Jorge Lopez, who was the Orioles' lone all-star uh, selection, he was their closer. He now goes to Minnesota to help out the Twins, who are still holding on to their lead in the AL Central over the Guardians. Um, now, here's the Braves. Uh, they swapped Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi from the Astros. Uh, from a Braves perspective, that's great. Uh, I, I get like 15 years on my life expectancy because Will Smith is not going to give me a heart attack anymore. Um, so you get rid of him. You get some starting pitching help. You get some back-end help with the closer for the Angels, Iglesias, coming over. And then you know, Adam Duvall is out for the year with a wrist injury, so you need someone who can hit lefties well. And Robbie Grossman from Detroit has mashed lefties with an OPS over 900 against left-handed pitching. So he comes over from Detroit. You don't really give up anything. I mean, Jesse Chavez has been good, but okay, he's like 39, and he's a journeyman. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Tucker Davidson, he's been okay in spurts, but nothing. You're not gonna, you're not expecting him to be a feature guy in the rotation moving forward. And Trey Harris was a struggling Double A outfielder. So Braves came out pretty good. No big splashy names, but look at what happened last year where they brought in three outfielders who were struggling with their respective teams, and all of a sudden it's Jocktober and and solar power. Yeah, nobody's heard from them since. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean, I I really like what the Braves did. You knew that the Braves were going to make some kind of moves to try to jump the Mets here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully jump the Mets in the next couple of weeks. I really like the Will Smith for Jacob Rizzi. Will Smith, as great as he was in the postseason and in the World Series, it was just a different story this year for Braves country. And I know Braves fans were – Pretty happy to see Will Smith back in Houston. Yep. <laughs> I, I've been a big fan of Odorizzi for a while. Been a fan ever since he was with Minnesota when he first came up. I think he's somebody that's got a really good mix of what he does and a really good idea of pitching. And I think when you put him with Will Cranit or with Cranitz, he's going to be somebody that is going to be a Jock Peterson, a Jorge Soler from last year, where they a new change of scenery, it starts to click. And then you also got to think, you bring in the starting pitching help with Odorizzi, you've got Strider, you've got Freed, and then Abracadabra, you've got this guy named Soroka that's kind of waiting in the wings for the next couple of weeks and Pretty months. Pretty good. Yeah. And he's coming back. So your rotation just got a lot better over the next couple of weeks. And then the one move that kind of confused me a little bit for the Braves was bringing Adrianza back. Yeah. I mean – I don't know that that helps. I don't know that it hurts. It's kind of indifferent. He was, he had some moments for the Braves in years past, but I don't know that he was somebody that was going to be a game changer. But I think Odorizzi is somebody that it's one that kind of flies under the radar of the Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Josh Hader. But I think that's one that when you get to postseason baseball, you're going to be like, man, that was a really good pickup. Yeah, this could be a huge month for both the Mets and the Braves. Both the teams playing each other eight times this month, um, starting a four-game series tomorrow and then a, a four-game series towards the end of the month. It's gonna it's gonna be huge. I mean, uh, this basically, I I feel like the NL East is gonna be determined by the end of August. I'm I'm all here. I'm I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> I think I'm here for it. 
By the way, I think there's two names that um, you know weren't involved in trades, but I think will make a big impact for the Braves down the stretch. Darren O'Day is currently hurt, and he should be back in a couple of weeks with a strained calf. But the big one, Kirby Yates hasn't thrown a pitch in two years, and he was one of the best closers in baseball a couple years ago. He's coming back from Tommy John. He's on a rehab assignment right now. And that dude's close to being back on a major league mound. That's pretty exciting that he's going to be added on top of everybody else the Braves added to the bullpen. You get a Darren O'Day back. You get a Kirby Yates back. You get a Mike Soroka back. And then you add Odorizzi. You add Iglesias. You've already got a Kenley Jansen, and he's been kind of weird this year. Yeah. But that's a, that's a pitching staff that, on paper, can take you a – pretty good distance and folks have been you know concerned about spencer strider's innings and whatnot you got soroka coming in i mean you can ease him into a long relief you can put him in that spot and strider can go to the pen or something i know they don't want to move strider to the pen but you've got a lot of flex forget that innings limit thing i'm with you man this Strider, he's a stud you also have austin riley with a a new 10-year deal so he doesn't have to worry about uh Leave it anytime soon. Colin is a happy man. Oh my goodness! I <laughs> I have loved Austin Riley. You've heard me talk about it when he was hitting a buck eighty a couple of years ago because he was swinging at sliders down and away. But I'm a huge Riley guy, and when they inked him to a ten year deal, I think that was Alex Anthopoulos's way of saying, "All right, we let one side of our infield kind of get away. We're not going." We're not going to try that again. So I think that's absolutely huge. Think about – there was that stretch where it was, are they going with Austin Riley or Johan Camargo? Or Johan oh. Camargo. Gross. Who? <laughs> Just kidding. Exactly. The Camargoats. <laughs> it's about time for Camargo. Between him and Kelly Johnson, they went somewhere else and came back to the Braves more time than anybody else. Yeah, I think Jesse Chavez will be picked up off waivers in the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk some more about the trade deadline. Winners, losers, our biggest surprises. Wentz uh, kind of caught us off guard. We'll talk about that when we come back on ATB. Hey. Oh, d- hey, Deb. I thought you were the radon test guys. The who test guys? Didn't you see the papers Sunday? The Surgeon General issued another lung cancer warning. Oh, like the cigarette warning? Yeah. They're saying we have to get our houses tested for radon. I don't smell any radon in my house. Uh, that's because radon is an odorless, colorless, tasteless gas that seeps into your house from underground. Does this story have a happy ending? Yeah. You'll be a lot happier once you get your house tested. Learn more. Visit the EPA at epa.gov radon. That's epa.gov radon. Now let's return to Around the Bases with J.T. Crabtree, Kylan Lacey, and Joe McNulty. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like I'm drunk at the wheel over here. Hey, it's only episode four. We'll get it, you know, by episode seven. I, I don't know if it's the, the two weeks in between the episodes, but, like, I have like I have hit every wrong button, and then the recording, I, I messed something up, and it's recording in the middle of a file, or in the middle of the, like, the previous segments. If this sounds garbage while you're listening to it, blame me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's continue our talk here on the MLB uh, trade deadline. 
Winners and losers, biggest surprises. Uh, guys, what kind of caught y'all off guard when uh, when business was closed on August 2nd? The thing that kind of jumped out to me, because as y'all have learned over the last, what, four episodes now, I, I'm a little odd. No. <laughs> I know. Shocking. Shocking for everybody. But I'm a little <laughs> no, odd. Hold on, Joe. Hold on. No, no, no. Uh, you're you're a little weird. Hold on. Let's breaking news. Papa Colin Lacey is weird. I've been waiting to use the breaking news button for a while, so there it is. <laughs> so after the trade deadline, everybody always talks about the big names. The thing that I go and look at is what prospects got shifted and who got what prospects. We talked about it a little bit last segment, but kind of glazed over it a little bit. But the Orioles ended up being sellers, even though they're still very much in contention for a wild card spot in the American League. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense if you look at it. How many Major League debuts have the Orioles had this year? There's been a bunch. And you get so many different, especially on the pitching side, High-level prospects coming in. You look at a guy like Seth Johnson coming in from the Rays in the Mancini deal. Somebody that has been really high on a lot of people's bucket list. McDermott coming in from the Astros in that three-team trade with Mancini. They got three or four different guys. Cade Povich as well coming in from the Twins for Jorge Lopez. There's a lot of high-level pitching talent that could be in Baltimore as early as the end of the year. But I think going forward, you're going to look back and say this trade deadline was absolutely huge for the Orioles' success. And you haven't been able to say Orioles' success very much (laughs) over the last decade. But this is going to be huge for the Orioles' success going down the backstretch. There's a lot of really good prospects that, again, on the pitching side especially, that the Orioles brought in and were able to be able to lock up for a couple of years now. I'm looking up and down this roster right now for the – for the Orioles, uh, one, I did not know that Brett Phillips had been picked up by the Orioles. Apparently, that just happened. That was a, that was the last trade in the deadline. So was he? I know he was DFA'd. So that was that was the last thing through the Rays. Yeah, that was the last thing that happened. Gotcha. Okay. And then also, I did not know that uh, Rugned Odor was only twenty-eight years old. I didn't know <laughs> Rugned Odor Odor was still playing. Yeah, I, th- I thought after he punched. Jose Bautista, that was the last game he played. There's a, uh, Colin, you know what I'm about to refer to. There's a place in Arlington, Texas called the Grease Monkey. Yes. And there is a picture on the wall up there that's very much clear as day is Rugnet Odor slamming Jose, uh, Jose Bautista, Joey Bat's face with his fist. It's fantastic. It's, you, you can't miss it. Rest in peace, Josh Sowers. <laughs> have fun in the whack. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, back on track. Yes, 100%. The, the Orioles buying and selling is funky. But, I mean, what have they got to lose? Like, yeah. they, they were not supposed to contend. And all of a sudden, they're, what, uh, a game and a half out of the wild, the last wild card spots? I mean, if they can continue to just, if nothing else, just play spoiler and just have a good game here or there, bring up some younger guys, get a cup of coffee. It's not a, not a bad way to go about this season. 
especially with as many young guys they already had before the deadline, now are producing at a pretty good clip. So I, I'm curious to see how they, if they can sustain what they've been doing down the stretch without a couple of pieces. Um, the one that confuses me is what the heck are the Boston Red Sox doing? Like, you get Hosmer. Okay, that's that's fine. Hosmer's good. It's a good move for, for Hosmer because he was going to get dumped off on the Nationals, and he still has, I think, three more years left on his big deal he signed with the Padres. So he's going to be stuck in just perpetual suckage with Washington for the next couple of years. So now he goes to the Red Sox. You know they're always going to compete. The Red Sox will never rebuild. Red Sox Nation will not take a habitual losing team. But they get him. Then they acquire Tommy Pham, which, okay, Reds are selling. That's fine. But then they trade out Christian Vasquez. Also, they trade him to the team they were playing that day, which it's so dumb. Like, why would you do that? He was taking batting practice. Yeah. While he, when he found out that he was being traded. And, like, did you see the video of the Red Sox PR? Like, he didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And then the reporters swarm him, and he's like, uh, I guess I got traded. How do you feel about it? Um, I, and then, like, PR just grabs him and pulls him into the dugout. Him. Yep. <laughs> like it's, it's insane. It's so weird. Like, how, did, how does someone not meet him when he gets out of the cage? Hey, man, we got to talk to you real quick. Have they not seen the movie Moneyball? Like, get Jonah Hill to stand next to the cage and get him in there. <laughs> Vasquez is gone, too. Yeah. I mean, I I don't get what it's the Red bizarre. Sox are. I, I don't get what they're doing. Like, if you're going to sell, do it full out. But if you're going to buy and try and stay in contention, then bring the pieces in you need. Don't do both. Yeah, you're basically just kind of staying stagnant at that point. Yeah. And I think Boston is kind of on that line of, yeah, they're still in contention. They're three games out of the wild card. But it could be a piece or two that make you fall way out of contention or make you have that jump up. And so when you make moves that go both ways, (laughs) you're almost pulling on different sides of rope. Speaking of Eric Hosmer earlier, how about Luke Voigt getting the short end of the stick in that whole situation? <laughs> I mean, because Eric Hosmer says no to go to Washington, Luke Voigt ends up getting shipped off to 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 Washington. And like, if anyone lost this trade deadline, it was Luke Voigt. <laughs> He's like, "Come on, Eric!" Right? He could have stayed in San Diego. That um, that is the weakest strongman I've ever seen, Luke Voigt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dude is jacked, and the most homers he's ever hit in a year are 22, and that was during the COVID-shortened year, wherein he somehow finished ninth in MVP voting with the Yankees. Weird. Because baseball makes so much sense. All right. that's uh, that. I think that puts a bow on the uh, the deadline for the most part for us. Um, we'll, uh, we'll come back, you know, We've got nicknames for for you guys on the show with Papa Colin now and Llama Joe, which Llama Joe is great. Joe, I've gone full in on Llama Joe. I have changed your profile picture and changed your name in my phone. That That's fine. I'm here for it. <laughs> nicknames are a part of baseball. And so we'll talk about 
our favorite nicknames. Not a draft this week, but just a, a rundown of list of the best nicknames in baseball when we come back on Around the Bases. Hello, I'm Marissa Jarrett-Winoker. Performing on stage takes mental and physical preparation. But the one thing I never thought to prepare for was cervical cancer. 91% of cervical cancers are caused by the human papillomavirus, or HPV. The good news is, there are vaccines that can protect you or your children from cancer. I survived my cancer, but you can stop cancer before it starts. Talk to your doctor and go to thinkaboutthelink.org to learn more. This is Around the Bases. Now, to take you around the bases, here's J.T. Crabtree, Colin Lacey, and Joe McNulty. I did it. I hit the right button. Yay. Yes. I got the gold star for five seconds until I hit the wrong button again. It is inevitable. Welcome back to Around the Bases. You can catch a new episode every week on iHeartRadio. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify as well. We appreciate y'all tuning in for what is the fourth episode of Around the Bases. Our previous three episodes, we've done a draft where we've taken turns going one, two, three, picking our respective favorites, bests, whatever. Telling uh, you where to get nachos inside stadiums. It's true. Mark yes. it down, folks. Exact locations. <laughs> Because whenever I go to the south side for a White Sox game, I know where to get some bacon on a stick now. Exactly. <laughs> this week we're changing it up just a list. It's time for the rundown. The best. Mercy. What a play by Machado. The worst. And what in the world? And everything in between. Lord have mercy. You have got to be kidding me. It's time for the rundown. All right, this week, our favorites are just rattling off just some good old nicknames all time in baseball. Um, we'll, we'll stick to our order, but it won't, don't worry, it won't affect the, the draft that we have next, so you're not like forfeiting your 101 this week. I have to preface that now because... I think if I had done that, that would have given me the first pick in the next draft. Right? It would have been rigged. And probably still is. Probably it still, probably still is. is. <laughs> All right, Colin, why don't you start us off here? Some some good old baseball nicknames. There's so many just, I don't want to call it iconic because that seems a little bit overstating, <laughs> but so many just really good nicknames. And it always seems like, the pitchers get the best nicknames. Oh, yeah. And being a old soul, being an Atlanta Braves fan my entire life, got to start off with Phil Necro. Everybody called him Nuxie for the <laughs> knuckleball. That, whoever came up with that is fantastic in my book. Yeah. All right, Joe, what, uh, what have you got? So growing up in the Chicagoland area as a kid, used to watch this guy all the time every single game he'd hit a home run but it seemed like the big hurt frank thomas uh i think it just seemed like anytime he came up to bat and he hit a home run it wasn't just a you know a little wall scratcher it was a 400 foot bomb and that's why they called him the big hurt i um 
<laughs> I went through a list and just found like someone else did the work for me and compiled a bunch of different nicknames and whatnot. Uh, do y'all know what Joaquin Soria's nickname is? Couldn't tell you. What What'd you say, Colin? I'm afraid to ask. The Mexicutioner. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> or like Frank Howard when he was playing with the uh, the previous iteration of a Washington baseball team. Uh, he was nicknamed the Capital Punisher. Oh, good night. <laughs> These are violent. But uh, <laughs> I always like when uh, and it seems odd for me to like somebody that played with the Phillies, but Shane Victorino, the Flying Hawaiian. Yes, Flying Hawaiian. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's so many good ones. Like you, like. The one that sticks out to me a bunch is, and it was actually a guy that my dad really, really liked watching growing up, is Mark uh, Mark Federich, the bird with the Tigers. That dude was weird, man. I mean, he'd sit up there and he'd talk to himself. between He'd talk to the ball. Like, if he wasn't throwing strikes, he'd walk off the mound and, like, yell at the ball. <laughs> like, he's a weird bird, and that's where the name came from. One that kind of relates more to us being on the broadcasting side but Bob Euchre Mr. Baseball yeah or uh, Harry one. Harry Doyle yeah <laughs> another another really good one that uh, kind of came up in a, in a World Series game not too long ago back in I think 2013 or so Kung Fu Panda Pablo Sandoval yeah uh, I think that's a that's a that's a real good one especially with uh, the way he he runs around the bases I think it's uh, it fits perfectly for him Braves legend, Pablo yep. Sandoval. <laughs> there was one that I'd never heard before, but Hall of Famer Luke, Luke Appling, he was good friends with a guy that I worked with in the Sunbelt Summer Collegiate Baseball League up in Atlanta. But Luke Appling, when he got towards the end of his career, they would call him Old Aches and Pains. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> there's a when you pull up some of these lists, there's some good ones. There's some really good ones. I mean, like, and you got to go back to the Sandlot. I mean, the Sandlot has the the best one, Babe Ruth, the Great yeah. Bambino. You know, uh, I think that that's probably the most iconic go-to nickname in baseball. If you had to just pick one. His name, his, what he's known by, Babe Ruth. Babe, yeah, right. Babe is a nickname. And then the Bambino, the Sultan, Sultan of Swat, like. Yep. The Colossus of Clout. <laughs> it's like you just run through all of them. Oh, it's so good. So, so good. Uh, Joe, you should know this guy, uh, Mark Zebchinski, the lefty relief pitcher. Scrabble. Scrabble. His name, literally, it's said Zebchensky, spelled R-Z-E-P-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. Got two Zs in there. That's like that's, tw- tough. that's like 27 points. I was about to say, that's a high-level <laughs> word. <laughs> There's some really, I mean... Um, Oil can Boyd. Yeah, that's that's an old one going back. 
Randy Johnson, the big unit. Yes. Yes, the big unit. Of course, David Ortiz, Big Poppy. That's a good one. Um, Seems like most of the good nicknames have the word big in there. Or shoot, like Goose Goslin. Like Goose. Nobody. Apparently, his name is Leon Allen. I didn't know that. I knew his name was Goose. (laughs) I mean, there's so many good ones. There's some of these that you look at. And again, a lot of these are pitchers that have really good nicknames. But being around baseball, you start to think, you know what? A lot of these pitchers probably have nicknames because there's a lot of time in the bullpen to come up with some of this. (laughs) I I mean, I'm scrolling through right here a list of the 50 worst. I did not know that uh, Rafael Fercal was apparently nicknamed... El Inano, which is the dwarf. No idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> he stood at five foot eight. I didn't know Don Zimmer was nicknamed the gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> or how about how about Mordecai Brown? Oz. Three fingers. Mordecai three fingers brown. He only had three fingers. Oh, um, oh, the the guy who with the the Brewers and Nationals for a while, uh, Niger Morgan. He was like he went by his alter ego, Tony Plush. What? Yeah, like he would say like, oh no, that that wasn't that wasn't Niger Morgan this week. That was that was Tony Plush. Niger Morgan had some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the same guy that's. Missed a ball, thinking it went out of the park, threw his glove down in frustration, and then allowed an inside the park home run. <laughs> oh, Todd Frazier being nicknamed the Todd Father. Oh, I think yeah. that's a good that's a good one. Colin, you should have had that one. You had him in your home run pick. I know. But I mean, like, there's some of these weird ones, but like Willie Mays, the say hey kid. Yeah. Uh, was the vacuum cleaner, apparently. Who was? Brooks Robinson. I, I do remember that because he, he played defense so well. He was like a a Hoover vacuum, like sucking the ball up. Uh, what was it? Oh, Travis Hafner was nicknamed Pronk. I, I, I never, apparently, his he had two nicknames, the Project and the Donkey, and so they combined it to make Pronk. Like, who's doing this? Ren McGriff, the crime dog. Oh, yes. How did I forget crime dog? (laughs) I pulled up one of these lists of the 50 best baseball nicknames ever, and somehow number six ended up being Kenny Rogers, the game. I don't know how that fits into baseball, but... Sure, we'll go with it. It's fine. Or like, I'm actually looking at the same list, Colin. Uh, number two on there, William Ellsworth Hoy was apparently nicknamed Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> or Harry Davis was apparently nicknamed Stinky. <laughs> or the 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 one on the the worst list that I'm looking at from Bleacher Report, the number one worst nickname in baseball history is Johnny 
ugly dick shot. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> that poor guy. What a childhood he must have endured. <laughs> yeah, middle school was not kind. Uh, how, about Hide- how about Hideki Matsui? His nickname was Godzilla. Oh, yes. <laughs> Didn't they play, like, wasn't his walk-up music the Godzilla theme song? I think so. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's a, that's a great little rundown there of some good and terrible nicknames. Uh <laughs> Let's uh let's take a time out here. We'll uh we'll step out. Collins Corner is next when we come back on Around the Bases. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving. Remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Shut your mouth and listen up. Will you shut up? Are you listening to me? And stay off his lawn. This is Colin's Corner on Around the Bases with J.T. Crabtree, Colin Lacey, and Joe McNulty. Back here on this week's edition of Around the Bases. Colin Lacey alongside JT Crabtree. Joe McNulty joining you here from various locations. Mobile, Statesboro, right around the Nashville area. But this week's edition of Colin's Corner, we talked about it a little bit earlier, how the MLB draft has happened since the last time we joined you. And I had one ready, but then I had to go and have a, child and so we didn't have an episode <laughs> last week so I, so selfish colin yeah right sorry y'all how dare you yeah i uh so i saved it up and have been stewing on this one for a little bit now but everybody gets so excited for the mlb draft you've got day one the first round you had espn and mlb network both covering it which I ended up having to watch ESPN's coverage because a certain Tennessee head baseball coach was on MLB networks. And so that was not going to happen, but anyway, (laughs) so, but after the draft, what's the first thing that always comes up? Not who's going to sign, not who are the folks that are going to be undrafted free agents. Not what does this mean for these teams? It's always, all right, well, let's look ahead to next year's draft. We just got done with this one. Can we not talk about this one real fast? Honest to goodness, an hour after the draft was over, you had the 2023 draft update list. Can we not enjoy the 2022 draft without looking ahead? And, and again, this one might be a little bit of get off my lawn, but – why are we already looking ahead to the 2023 draft? We didn't have the summer yet. We haven't had fall ball. We haven't seen anything. That list is going to change 47 times before we get to July of next year. 
So what's the point of going ahead and looking ahead to the 2023 draft? Oh, this guy's going to be taking number one. No, he's not. No, he's not. No. Because I guarantee you, whoever they said two days after the draft last year was not Holiday's son. I can promise you that. I, again, this one might be a little bit get off my lawn. But it hit me right after the draft, and I saw the 2023 draft projection. And I'm like, you know what? Now we somebody has given us a platform for this, and we're going to make this known. Well, especially with a sport like baseball, it's just – it's one of those games where injuries play such a big role. I mean, one pitcher goes and has a you know Tommy John surgery – that ruins his his potential first round draft pick. You know, like it's it just it's a sport that there's too many variables that can happen throughout a, a college baseball season, a high school baseball season. That you can, it, it's not like basketball. Basketball you could you could predict just based off of talent alone, but baseball it's it's a lot of tangibles that you really can't control, and you got to keep an eye out throughout the season and then make your right decision at that specific day of the draft. I mean, like like you said, Colin, most people, even in the spring, didn't have Jackson Holiday as the number one overall pick. Right. <laughs> I'm There's with you, man. Happened from February to the draft. Yeah. Like, okay, you're gonna play some travel ball, play some summer ball, whatever. You've still got your fall workouts and your actual, you know, season up right. ahead of you. No, I'm with you, man. That's uh, I mean. If you want to be get off my lawn, that the, the big voice guy says, shut up and get off my lawn. There you go. Yeah, and when David Lee says it, that's it, pretty much gospel. It's gospel. gospel. <laughs> All so, right. Yeah, it's not the longest rant I've ever had eh. or will have. But I was going to say, there's, don't worry. There's still time for you oh, to, there, to go off good, on something. There's some good ones still stuck in the <laughs> hopper. we got a long way to go. We oh, uh, yeah. we got a long way to go. Anyway, it's funny. You bring up the draft stuff. In our next segment here, we'll talk a little bit more about the MLB draft. We'll talk about that next on Around the Bases. If you talk and they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey. He knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Around the Bases with JT, Colin, and Joe. Welcome back to Around the Bases. You can, uh... Follow the show on social media, on Twitter, at ATB underscore show. You can submit a question if you like. Shoot us a DM, a comment on our Facebook page. Just search around the bases. It'll pop up on there. Uh, you can email us, atbradioshow at gmail.com. Ask us a question. Give us a segment idea, a draft idea, whatever. We'll take it. We had some great interaction a couple weeks ago. Appreciate you folks sending it in and... Hopefully we'll have some more moving forward. Let's shift back to the Major League Baseball side real quick. And Colin, in your Colin's Corner segment, you were talking a little bit about the draft there. It's funny you bring that up because I wanted to ask, the last two weeks of Major League Baseball 
have been the MLB draft from the 17th to the 19th of, Ju- of July. The All-Star week and weekend, whatever you want to call it, officially starts the 18th, but really it's the like Friday before when you've got like the, the prospect games and then the future game, you've got the celebrity stuff and whatnot. And then we just wrapped up the trade deadline August 2nd. Alex Anthopoulos during the Braves TV broadcast, um, what, Tuesday night, right after the the deadline, he said, like, I haven't slept in two weeks because we went from the draft to the All-Star game, and these last this last week and a half I've been trying to figure out how we're going to put the roster together for the rest of the season. He, his family's up in Canada because they knew they weren't going to see him for the next two weeks. Like, I'm of the opinion it's too much going on. Like, the All-Star game and the deadline, okay. But the draft just kind of gets lost in here. Like, it used to be it was happening in mid-June. It was happening during the College World Series, so some guys were kind of figuring out their fates while their college career was still going on, which was kind of cool. Yeah, what was it, Dansby Swanson, when Vandy was making their yeah. run to the College World Series, he found out like during BP that he had been drafted? Yeah, like he, he gets a call and he's on the field with his teammates that he's getting pink number one overall by the Diamondbacks. Like, that's a cool moment that is not going to happen. And I get, you know... You want to have the family there and whatnot, and that's a, a big moment in your life. And if if this were the old case, you know, Jackson Holiday might not necessarily be surrounded by his family when he gets picked number one overall, or you know, whoever the top college guy was. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he could still be playing in Omaha, and his parents have to watch on TV with everybody else. Like, okay, I, I see that side. But at the same time, like, this is a two-week window where you've got too much going on for baseball. The draft should be a big deal. The All-Star game is a big deal. The trend deadline's a big deal. I feel like the draft just kind of gets lumped in with the All-Star game, and it's like, eh, whatever, toss it in there. And think about the amount of pressure put on the, these GMs to make the right moves throughout all this time. I mean, the, you're not only drafting your future, but then you're also trading to try and – either sell for the future or buy for the now on top of all that i just think it's it's too much at one time i think if they move the i personally i think the draft should actually be after the trade deadline um enforce teams to not be able to because i mean some of these players that have already signed their contracts they could be traded already and i don't think that's fair to some of these players that have already been drafted so uh i think you know it's too much going on, like you said, JT, at one time. It's kind of all squished into the midseason for baseball. And I get that there's, you know, I'm sure Manfred wants more people to keep their eyes on baseball, you know, because there's no other professional sports going on right now. But it's just, I think people were already watching baseball. And I think this is just too much. And it's kind of shoving it down people's throats at this point. Here's my issue with pushing it back that far is that on the college side, Roster management becomes, I mean, it already is, but moving it back that far almost becomes impossible because you got to know who you got coming back. Yeah. Moving it back to July makes that hard, too. I mean, you've got teams that are trying to hit the transfer portal, but a dude in the portal might get drafted. Is he going to go to his new team? Is he going to go to his old team? Is he going to go pro? You've got three parties that don't know what's going on 
and that can be alleviated a little bit by moving the thing up two weeks. Put it July 1. It's out of the World Series. It's away from the All-Star game. Gives it its standalone weekend. And I know that kind of wraps in with the 4th of July, too. But I mean, it's a three-day event, so you end it before the 4th, kind of going into it? That might be kind of a cool way to cap it off. I don't know. I've... <laughs> I've had mixed feelings, especially since I've gotten involved with college baseball more. Because before, I always said that I thought it was crazy that MLB did their draft mid-season. Yeah. And so I've always said MLB draft needs to be either associated with or around the World Series. Because you've got a scouting department that is trying to figure out drafting. They're also trying to scout because there's scouts that are assigned to scout opponent major league teams. And so you're wearing thin there. If you put the draft in the off season, then you give a better idea of one, what you need. And then you're not having 25, 30 new players coming into your organization in the middle of the season. And then you're trying to shuffle around your minor league system. I've always kind of thought, and I get what you're saying with the, it messes up the college baseball roster and whatnot, but I don't know. To me, the draft would be, it would be another way to get fans and folks involved with baseball in the off season. I, I like the draft moving to the off season. And then I think if you've got the all-star week in the trade deadline, relatively close together that's not a huge deal but the draft is what really throws the kink in the chain so if it's in say first week of december yeah a college kid gets picked is he from the previous class or is he currently playing like could a guy get picked december one and not play in the spring in college yeah. That'd be good grief. That'd be nuts. I mean, it, and you kind of have it to an extent because there are guys, what the signing date was a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Really and truly at this point, because most, I know here down in Statesboro, school will start next Wednesday. It's right about the time that school is going to be starting anyway. Is it that big of a difference of if you're in the fall semester, whether you get picked in mid to late July or you get picked in December? That's a good point. Or maybe, you know, baseball's kind of weird where football and basketball, you have to declare for the draft. You don't have to for baseball. It just kind of happens. Maybe there has to be a declaration of, hey, I'm in the class. I can get picked and see where I go and decide then to play college ball or not. Maybe that's a route to go. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I mean, you're going to have an issue just because baseball season is so long. Yeah. You're going to have an issue one way or the other. And especially since college baseball and major league baseball aren't on the same schedule. Because NFL and college football, it, there's a couple of weeks difference, but for the most part, they're playing at the same time. Right. 
but college baseball and major league baseball, there's such a difference in what the schedule is. I don't know. There's not necessarily a right answer for this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the key thing is like, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. It's just, how do we get the most out? How do you get the most out of these events to better baseball? Yeah, and I mean, again, I go back to, and I was thinking about this while the draft was happening. I'm like, man, this is late in the game for guys to sign with major league teams, and then you're two weeks away from your fall camp reporting. Guys aren't going to have fall practices just yet, but your fall camp reporting, is there a difference between mid to late July, maybe even early August, if they extend the deadline or getting picked in November, December, is there a difference? I don't know that there's that much of a difference. And it seems crazy to say, but if you're out recruiting, there's not a whole lot that really changes from the middle of July to August, middle of August, whenever your teams report for school in the fall semester, there's not a whole lot that really changes. And I think a lot of it will change if NCAA changes the transfer deal and the transfer window yeah. for college baseball. Again, I don't know. There, there's not a right answer that makes everybody happy, but it's just a matter of what promotes the game and I know different folks have different opinions on that, but it's just a matter of what's better for the game and the collective side of it. Uh, if you ask Rob Manfred, it's uh, pie slices in the infield dirt. Yikes. Yeah, and him himself, he himself <laughs> selecting folks for the All-Star game. Yeah. I think, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you're right, Kyle. They need a little Manfred like nameplate on the back instead of their own name. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be good. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's uh, let's move ahead. We'll uh, we'll step out of the batter's box, so to speak, here. And Joe's got us. Joe's hot sauce. When oh we oh yes, when we come back on around the bases, you can join in the mission to remember our fallen heroes, honor those who currently serve in their families, and teach younger generations about the value of freedom. A $15 donation to Wreaths Across America sponsors a fresh balsam remembrance wreath. These wreaths have become a symbol of America's respect for those who have served and no longer walk with us. Sponsor a wreath today. Visit wreathsacrossamerica.org or call 877-385-9504. You've got to be taping me. What is he talking about? Absurd. This is Joe's Hot Sauce. Welcome back to Around the Bases. Joe McDulty, JT Crabtree, and Colin Lacey back with you. With another edition of Joe's Hot Sauce. We got a good one this week. Actually, it's kind of a bad one. It's how expensive it is to go to a baseball game nowadays. It's just it's crazy uh, how much it costs for a family of four to go to a baseball game, the average price in the major leagues right now is $204 and 76 cents for a family of four. What? 
So for a family of four to go in to a baseball game, which includes four tickets and figure each person in the family gets one hot dog, each of the adults gets two beers and each kid gets one drink as well. So four, four hot dogs, two beers, two sodas, a parking pass and four tickets. The average across all 30 teams in MLB is $204. Jeez. Gosh. The most ex- another kid. <laughs> the most expensive ballpark in Major League Baseball, go figure, Fenway, Boston Red Sox, $324 on average to go to a baseball game. Ticket prices are $61 a piece. A beer costs $9.50. A soda costs $5.50. And a hot dog is $6, while parking in Boston costs $23.50. It's actually it's absolutely through the roof. Uh, even for the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Braves come in right at about fifty percent um, in the league, right at the league average, hundred and ninety three dollars and ninety four cents for a family of four to go to a Braves game. Um, right now, tickets are like thirty four dollars, five dollars for a beer, six dollars for a soda, and then they actually have one of the lowest prices on hot dogs at three fifty for the Braves, but it's just, it's insane to think of the uh, inflation prices all throughout America actually affecting um, the the baseball field as well. Uh, they, there was also a report that hot dogs have increased between 20 and 30% from last year to this year at baseball games. So last year, hot dogs were only costing between four and $5 and now they're costing between five and seven. It's it's just insane uh, how expensive it's it's cost. I mean, you go to an Arizona Diamondbacks game and get a box of Cracker Jacks. That box of Cracker Jacks will cost you eight dollars. That's stupid. Cracker Jacks are not that good either. Oh, they're overrated. They're only good because of the song. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's crazy to see some of the prices at some of these ballparks for some of their prices. I mean, you look at, uh, the ho- most expensive hot dog in major league baseball, the Seattle Mariners, $8 for a hot dog. Oh. There's no way that hot dog is $8. Good. It, it, you could go get a meal for $8. That hot dog better eat itself for $8. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you sent us this chart that has every team and breaking down the ticket, the beer, the soda, hot dog, and parking. How in the world is the second cheapest place to go the Miami Marlins? (laughs) How is the city of Miami the second cheapest to go to? It's because of their soda and hot dog prices are only $3. Jeez Louise. But then you look at parking for some of these places. The two cheapest parking places... Houston, I've been to that ballpark. There's no parking. So I don't know where you're spending your $9, but your car might not be there when you get back. Speaking of, Detroit's the next cheapest. (laughs) I've been been past Comerica Park. It's not a good area. I'm not paying $9 to park at Comerica Park in Detroit. I will pay the $30 to be in a parking deck somewhere. Yep. Like, this is... (sighs) What's a place like San Francisco? Because everything's expensive out there. So nine dollars for a beer, six fifty for a soda, seven fifty for a hot dog, twenty eight dollars to park. Yeah. And so there, I actually found on the hustle.com, they did a 
they did they took that the averages from 2022 and they compared them to averages from 1960. So ticket prices in 1960 were $1.91. Now they're $35. <laughs> Back in 1960, one beer cost 35 cents. Oh. Now the average is $6.87. <sighs> A soda was 18 cents. It's now $5. A hot dog costs 35 cents. And it's now up over $5. And parking only costs 25 cents. So, did I hear you right? I can get a hot dog and a beer at the same price? Yes. Oh, man. So We're going to be in 19, trouble. <laughs> in 1960, a family of four to get to parking, four hot dogs, two sodas, and two beers cost $10.35. In today's day and age, it costs $204. Wow. $190 difference. Wow. It just hurts to think about. Uh, Colin, you've got a kid now, so uh, uh, Nathan's going to be going to a, a bunch of Georgia Southern games for free using your credential, right? Yeah, we're going to a lot of Diamondbacks games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that drives just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Statesboro, Georgia. Do you know what's weird, though, and – we get to think about this from time to time. Think about this. The most expensive place was Boston, like you talked about. $324 to take a family of four. And yet you have folks that are working there that get paid about that to go. Yeah. Like, that's the crazy part about our job. And obviously it's at a much smaller number sure <laughs> but it's it's not cheap even for college football college baseball and yet we just kind of bebop in there for free somebody gives a parking pass that we just walk in complain when the free food's not there before kickoff right. <laughs> like we complain when the <laughs> chicken's not done when we're ready to eat pregame when the barbecue's cold yeah <laughs> Jeez, Louise. We're horrible people. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> I don't know that we needed that to tell you. Oh, man. That's a good one, Joe. That is yeah. a great one. That's really good. It's it, When you put it in person, like, you know, you know going to any ballpark, you're going to spend some cash. But put it in perspective like that of how across the board crazy it is. And figure, I mean, even minor league ballparks, it's the same thing. I mean, yeah. I went to the Nashville Sound game not too long ago. I think tickets were relatively cheap. They were like 10 or 15 bucks. And, you know, and those were really good seats. They were like second or third row. But then a beer still costs seven bucks. A hot dog still costs 450 You know, so it, it's still, it's just so expensive nowadays to, to go to a game. Yeah. yeah. Think about people that have season tickets. Like, you're yeah. going to 81, and obviously a lot of people don't go to all 81 home games, but you're probably going to at least half of those. Yeah. 40 games, you're paying, and it's probably cheaper when you've got season tickets, but 80, 40, between 40 and 80 times, you're paying two, 300 bucks. Jeez Louise. Must be nice, huh? Yeah, no right? joke. One day. We'll, we'll get there. 
If you would like to support Around the Bases <laughs> podcast. <Yeah. laughs> oh, man. That's a good one, Joe. Nicely done, man. Let's uh, – hey, we'll we'll uh, we'll take a timeout. We're wrapping it up here, I think. Let me uh, – yeah, it's the home stretch next. Uh, <laughs> man, we just flew through this episode this week. Uh, we'll uh, – I guess we'll put a bow on it when we come back on Around the Bases. Did you get a call or message that mentioned Social Security that made you feel threatened or scared? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, press you for personal information, or demand instant payment. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Don't fall for it. Hang up, ignore them. Report this criminal activity to oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Money's worth. Goodbye. Look at this baby. Wow. That ball is gone way up there. Oh, my. She is gone. Acuna sends us home happy. Rounding third and heading home. This is the home stretch. Apropos that uh, Vin Scully's call of Kirk Gibson's homer in the World Series added in there on our rejoin of the home stretch. Wrapping up episode four of Around the Bases, JT, Colin, and Joe. We've talked a lot of deadline, and let's uh, throw one more in there. He's the most traded man in MLB history. Previously, what, like three times over? Now the Braves reliever Jesse Chavez. He's been traded 10 times in 15 seasons. How has Jesse Chavez played 15 seasons of pro ball? He's not that good. <laughs> he's a journeyman now. He's been moved around, not individual teams, but he's been moved around more than guys like Octavio Dotel and Edwin Jackson. Oh. <laughs> it's ridiculous. How much swag does he have to have? How much stuff has he donated? No joke. <laughs> well, here we go. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll get traded back to him. I guess I put it in the back of the closet. I was about to say, at this point, he just kind of boxes it up until he gets traded back. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's played for the Braves on three different occurrences now, and they've all been trades. None of them have been by choice. So we don't even—he might not even like Atlanta. And none of them have really worked. <laughs> <laughs> he got traded uh, just a couple of days ago to the Angels. He's been traded twice this year: beginning of the year from the Cubs to the Braves, and then Braves to Angels. Boy, I'm sure he feels great going from a bad team to a really good team with the Braves, and now you're going to be stuck out in L.A. with a really bad team. Womp, womp, womp. Do I have a rejoin for that? I do. Sorry, Jesse Chavez. You've been traded yet again. (laughs) (laughs) I think by now he's probably used to it. I mean, he doesn't take it personally. I'd... I don't think so. Um, (laughs) Poor guy. Um, Next one up on our home stretch here. Will Clark got his number 22 retired by the San Francisco Giants. Uh, I mean, Will Clark's a good player. I didn't know he was good enough to have his number retired by the Giants. So good for him. But did you guys see his retirement speech or not retired, but just like the speech he gave when his number was being retired? If you hadn't seen it, um, here's just the the big parts um, of how he ended 
um, his little speech at his number retirement. I am Will Thorough Clark. I am part of San Francisco, and I am forever a giant. I am San Francisco. <laughs> Bold statement. <laughs> I just love that it's so emphatically I am Will the Thrill Clark. I am part of San Francisco. I am a giant. W- were people questioning this? I was about to say, was that a <laughs> I didn't know that was up for debate. I don't know, man. It was just it was weird how emphatic he was, and then obviously you can't see it on the podcast, but he ended his little I will forever be a giant with a giant fist pump on the field while he's in full suit. And I'm like, dude, you're gonna rip the sleeve off this thing. Yeah, it seems like you're trying to convince people that aren't doubting you. <laughs> There's a he's trying to go for like a, a super iconic moment in sports history, and and I think he just failed at it. I, I think so too. I mean, there was part of that ceremony. Um, his former teammate with the Giants and now member of the broadcast crew, Mike Kruko, um, he actually like told a story of the first time he met Will Clark. This young kid from Mississippi State runs onto the mound when he's struggling, and he said. Hey, if we're gonna win this game, you got to play better. Like, yeah, no joke, man. Thanks for the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, I heard a coach one time at like one of the preseason media days say, "If we we have to stop losing in order to start winning," and it's like, "Wow, huh. you know what? You're right, coach. You have you have figured it out. That is indeed." The secret. Congratulations. You got it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So that's that's Will the Thrill. Congratulations to him. Number twenty-two, uh, retired by the Giants. Uh, how about minor league baseball? Um, there was uh, a high A team with the Twins, the Cedar Rapids Colonels, not like military colonels, but actually spelled phonetically, unlike Colonel. David, yes, David Festa, right-handed pitcher, right-handed pitcher for the Colonels, allowed three straight singles in the top of the third inning and proceeded to pick off all three. As a right-handed pitcher, how bad are you on the base pass? You got picked off three times by a righty. Yeah, and that's three different people. At some point, that first base coach just has to say, hey, stand here. Hey, just... One step off. No secondary, well, nothing. And, and watching it, the, the first two batters had such a big lead that when the pitcher went and picked them off, they immediately took off for second base and got thrown out at second. You would think that, one, after the first guy got thrown out, you wouldn't have as big of a lead on first base. <laughs> but two, that even if the pitcher did try and pick you off, you wouldn't immediately run to second because they just got the last guy. I know in college ball, the first base coach really just collects all the gear. I mean, I know there's more to it, obviously, but from the outside, <laughs> Jeff Cordy's going to just murder me. <laughs> and Wofford. <laughs> and Woff, yeah. <laughs> and our now third base coach, uh, Corley Reynolds, over here at South. Um, he coached first the last two years. Um, but for the, I mean, just from the outside, you see him, you know, the shin guard and whatnot. How are you not telling him, like you said, Kyle, hey, just shorten that up a bit. Yeah, like especially after the second one. Like that third guy should not have been more than a sneeze off the bag. No, and like, 
again, he's a righty. He's having to turn all the way around. You're still getting picked off. You know who the happiest person in all of this is? Joe West. That too. <laughs> <laughs> the catcher. Yeah. He's like, all right, those first two were going. You saved me from having to get up and throw. Just show him the thumb. Go. <laughs> Bingo. Oh, man. I, I've I've never seen that before. Um, all right. Um, you guys have seen like on social media Wendy's is pretty out there uh, especially on Twitter um, they they interact a lot they're kind of edgy um, I will never forget that when IHOP changed to IHOB for that bit we're focusing on hamburgers and they like tweeted Wendy's tweeted at IHOP we're not really concerned about people that struggle making pancakes taking business away from our burgers which Spot on, guys. Um, Jeff Passan, who um, he's got the blue check mark next to his Twitter accounts. Um, if you ask Jim Bowden, he doesn't understand how important that is on social media. But <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Passan just tweeted out before the deadline last week, hey, you know, if I have news, you'll see it from this account. Look for the blue check mark. Do not believe anyone who says that I said something on the radio or anywhere else. The only place you'll see it is on ESPN.com and here on Twitter. And then he puts under it, replying to himself, Sir, this is a Wendy's. Making reference and the the joke from multiple things, but one occurrence of it being the office, among others. But Wendy's then replied to it, saying, pretty disingenuous to joke about misinformation, Jeff. As a journalist, you should know better as there's a it's a drive to deep left by Castellanos. That'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. Making light of, of course, uh, Tom Brenneman's, quote, apology for using a slur that was on television and in his apology paused to give play-by-play of Castellanos hitting a homer. But there's also, I don't know where it is. I need to look it up. There's another occurrence of Castellanos hitting a home run during someone else giving an apology during a television broadcast. I don't know. The best part of this whole exchange between Jeff Passan and Wendy's, which Jeff Passan has become one of my favorite sports writers, just won the National Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association a couple of months ago. But (laughs) from when Wendy's tweeted what you just read about the pretty disingenuous joke about misinformation and the Castellanos. <laughs> Jeff Passan responded with, I said 10-piece spicy nugs, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, 100%. I mean, <laughs> and you want to talk about somebody that kind of came out of nowhere? Jeff Passan, before the first thing that I'd really saw of Jeff Passan was all the coverage of COVID shutting down Major League Spring Training. I remember we were sitting up in the press box at J.I. Clements here in Statesboro when we were watching all the basketball tournaments get shut down and we had three different screens on the SEC basketball tournament, the ACC basketball tournament, and then the just ESPN feed. And they would go to him about every 15 minutes 
to ask him what was new, and he's like, I, th- there's not really anything new. So he would just repeat over and over again. We're like, <laughs> come on, dude, come up with something new. But there wasn't anything. But following him lately, he's quickly become one of the best sports writers, especially on the baseball side. He's the man. He's the guy. I mean, I remember him from Yahoo Baseball. Yeah. I mean, he was doing something right at Yahoo. I don't think anybody does anything right at Yahoo anymore. Right. <laughs> I may never wear this headset again. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. You may not work for Yahoo, but... It's fine. Tom Brenneman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it for this week's edition of Around the Bases. You can catch a new episode each week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on iHeartRadio. Guys, good to be uh, good to be back on with y'all. We'll be back next week. Colin, hopefully you get some sleep. We'll give it a shot. Give the old college try. Uh Joe, are you a new animal next week, or are you sticking with the llama? Only time will tell. You can let us know. (laughs) Shoot us a tweet at ATB underscore show and let us know what animal you want Joe to be every single week. (laughs) Or you can supply the gift. That's true. Send it to us, man. We'll make it happen. All right. Well, it won't be us signing it off this week, um, as we were talking earlier with uh, with Vin Scully's passing. How about we send you off with Vin Scully's final sign-off and his final broadcast? You know, friends, so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67-year career in baseball, and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family. And now all I can do is tell you what I wish for you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life seems a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be. This has been Around the Bases with J.T. Crabtree, Colin Lacey, and Joe McNulty. Your weekly dose of baseball with a little extra.